the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. One of my pieces of advice was to sort of use that as an opportunity to start building that referral network. So if it's not an area of law that you like to practice, Joshua, if it's not something that you feel confident in doing, I think referring that out to somebody else would be a great way to start following that giver's gain approach that we talk about so much on this show. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. You're back on the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? It's just me and you today. I think we need to record a few of these. I am getting ready to go on a big trip. You know about that. So I think doing a couple of just you and I are always good. They're always very well received. And so I think talking about the things that we like to talk about, people are going to enjoy it. Yeah, I've actually had a couple of people I've talked to over the last couple of weeks kind of saying, hey, I kind of wish you'd uh, do some with just the two of you or, or just do it in some with, you know, just a solo practitioner and asking them questions. So I think we can do that over the next few weeks where we kind of just me and you and then we got to do it before you go to Hawaii, but and then also maybe get someone that uh, get them on the podcast just to sort of go through their small practice, their solo practice and kind of go through the struggles that they're going through. So I think, I think occasionally that's what people want to hear, but I think also having the bigger names on is also important because you can kind of learn the most recent, newest things out there. So the, the shiny ball syndrome that you like. Let's get to it. All right. So Joshua, which this one of the benefits of going to the Facebook group and, and signing up there is just not signing up, like just requesting to join. It's free. Is actually getting involved in the discussion. And he posted on there, I'm just going to paraphrase. He, he he really had two questions. It was a pretty long post, but he had two questions. The, the first part was about whether or not whenever you are leaving a firm and you already have a, a fairly successful client base and, and practice, but you're leaving to start your own practice, whether or not you should sort of lower your standards when it comes to taking on new clients to actually, you know, bring in new life to the firm. That was the first part of the question. And, the second part of the question had to do with whether or not it's okay to loosen your protocols during this process. And I'm, I'm really just oversimplifying that, what that was, but that's really what it came down to. Because he was he's kind of worried about, you know, should I take on these riskier cases when I start my own practice? And the other part of it was, you know, should I, should I loosen my protocols, Cause especially when it comes to intakes and things like that, you know, because you do get an influx of cases or you have less staff when you start to firm to do these things, you know, is it okay to, to loosen those 
those protocols. So, Jimmy, I, I put my opinion on the Facebook post. I want to get your opinion first, and I'll give you my opinion. Well, let's sort of break it up into the two questions. I think one is about whether or not to take uh, work in another practice area or to take on clients that you might not normally take. So let's start with that. Now, unfortunately, when I read Joshua's post, I, I wrote a really long post in reply, but I was driving back or I was actually writing back from Immigration Detention Center in Southern Illinois, and somehow my message got lost, which is one of the reasons I wanted to record this because I didn't feel like retyping it, and I thought it'd be a good topic for you and I to cover. We also got some really good advice from some of our members in the group, Julie Siegel, Rachel Fay, and Nick Ortiz, all chimed in right around the time that you did, and I thought everybody gave a lot of good tips, as did Nancy Cavey. So I think that we both are in agreement that, in general, when you're starting out, everyone understands that it's stressful and that you're inclined to want to take whatever comes in the door. But I really think that one of my pieces of advice was to sort of use that as an opportunity to start building that referral network. So if it's not an area of law that you like to practice, Joshua, if it's not something that you feel competent in doing, I think referring that out to somebody else would be a great way to start following that giver's gain approach that we talk about so much on this show from our friend Bob Berg and about, you know, just sort of, you know, sending clients to the people that you think are going to do the best job without, you know, any real hopes of anything in return, but just building those connections by referring out things that you probably shouldn't be doing anyway. Yeah, so and you are right. We're in agreement on that. But another part of that that I think is sort of lost in this is that there's a profit stream in there as well. So, for example, you have a separate profit stream from your firm from sending cases to people like me and Gary Berger and other personal injury attorneys because we co-counsel on these cases and you get a check from them. You don't have to do anything on them. So not only are you you're building that referral base, which is obviously important and you get the giver's gain mentality, but you also have that profit stream where you wouldn't otherwise have it. You're, if you're just turning down those cases, you have to think about other ways of making money for your firm, and that's one of them. So I think that's, a, that's another way of looking at it. One of the big things that to really look at, though, is just look at your clients now and your your, your overall client base and think about the, the problem clients that you have now and what how much better your life would have been if you had turned those down, you know, six months ago, one year, two years ago. I mean, so I think you maybe look at it that way because you're having much, a, a much stronger client base if you turn those cases away a long time ago or from the, from the very beginning your life is just going to be so much better because you're not going to have those problem clients. And you usually know who, who they are from the from the very beginning. You know which ones are going to have the red flags. You know which ones are going to be a pain in the butt. Those are the ones that are really demanding right off the bat without having given you a penny. So I, I'm all for turning down those cases and not lowering your standards right from the beginning. Well, I think as far as you mentioning the other revenue streams, that that would apply to personal injury cases. I don't think it applies to a lot of other practice areas where people don't pay referral fees or co-counsel fees. So I think that's one thing to sort of keep in mind. But I think generally the idea is that, you know, when you're a newer attorney or you have more time on your hands than you do maybe when you're more established, is that is a good time to be out networking and doing things. And, and that's a great calling card to say, hey, Steve, I know that you do estate planning. I don't do estate planning. I have this client who needs some estate planning help. I'd like to send them to you with that. You know, do a warm introduction. Don't just say, call Steve. I mean, I can't tell you how many referrals I get from other attorneys, and I don't actually get it from the attorney themselves. I get it from the client saying, oh, so-and-so looked you up or knows you and highly recommended you. I've never heard of the person. So they probably just looked up my website and recommended me, but it would mean so much more to me as the receiving attorney 
if the attorney just spent a little bit of time, you know, making that connection. I always make sure to send a joint email introducing the, the two people to each other and then sort of trusting that they'll take it from there. I think a warm introduction goes a long way. Yeah, I, I, there's one slight caveat I have with this. And don't send out junk just to send it out, okay, because you're going to start ticking off your referral partners. Don't waste their time if you know it's not a good case. Only refer out cases that are actually good cases. I've gotten my fair share of uh, calls from from cases, and they clearly were not a case, but the, the, they were trying to send them to me just, you know, as a courtesy, I guess, uh, to send me a case. But another part of this, I guess, you can do some vetting on your end, but how you do that is, is have lunch with your referral partners and say, hey, what's a good case for you? And get a like, criteria from them before you start sending those over because, I mean, we don't want to be – you know, spending half our day getting in leads and then just them being garbage. So just be careful what you send over because I, I think that, that that's a, a key part of that as well. Yeah, I think so. I think that people really appreciate you just doing that little bit of extra legwork. Nobody does want any kind of dog cases or cases that aren't going to go anywhere. You don't want to waste anybody's time. The other thing that I was thinking about was that, I mean, what do you think about that idea about, you know, the warm connection? I think, don't you think that's important? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think because otherwise that's lost. That referral is lost sometimes because if you just say, hey, call Jim Hacking, uh, here's his number, and you don't tell them they're, they're the chronic. So you always, whenever you send a case over to me, you always send me an email or Marwan sends me an email. Here's the client's information. They're going to be calling you. So I know it's coming from you, and I know that you all have, hey, you all do a good job of vetting the case too. So I, I know when it's coming over, it's probably a case. It's rare that I turn down one of the cases you send my way. So that's the key part of this. So definitely do an email. If you have their text message, send a text message. And if you can, make a phone call. Say, hey, here's Mrs. Jones's information. She's going to be calling you. Here's what the case is about. That way they've got a heads up. And they've, that way whenever they take the call, they're semi, semi-educated as the, the facts of the case, so they're prepared. So I, I 100% agree with you on that. I think that's a great idea. One last point before we get on to the second part of Joshua's question that I wanted to mention is that I think it's really important, and you do too, that you add anybody who contacts you for legal advice to your database because they might be calling you about a practice area that's not what you do, but if you add them to your database and start sending them a weekly email telling them about the kinds of things that you do do, then they're going to have the potential to refer you stuff later on down the road. You're going to educate them on the kind of cases that you want, and you're going to give them that weekly contact so they don't forget about you. So even if you're turning down the case, I would still strongly recommend adding them to your database and following up with them about the kind of things that you do do so that the next time they come into contact with somebody who has that kind of a need, they're they're thinking of you. Yeah, and also use it as a marketing opportunity, even if you don't add them to your database. So let's assume for a second you don't put them into a spreadsheet or Infusionsoft or whatever you use. At the very, very least, send them an email and send them a letter with your information so they remember you and tell them what practice areas you handle. So we've got this standard letter that goes out and says, you know, I appreciate calling me about the criminal matter or whatever, whatever family law matter, whatever it may be. And, you know, we really appreciate it. However, we only handle personal injury cases. So if you ever need some in the future, give us a call, yada, yada, yada. So we have that. We use it as a marketing device. And, and they also love it. It's usually best if you can give them a referral to someone else, but sometimes you can't because sometimes it is a bad case, whatever it may be. But use that opportunity to get in front of them in the future in case they have your type of case in the future. So it's best practices database, put them in the database, follow with marketing. But at the very minimum, send them some sort of correspondence so they remember who you are. 
because you never know when they may call you in the future. It happens all the time. The second part of Joshua's question, I'm going to read it right off the Facebook page because I think it's really helpful. As a new solo, I sometimes struggle with the balance between operating my firm using best practices, for example, screening clients, following formal procedures, taking retainer deposits, etc., with a desire to just get some clients to hire me. Empirically, I've seen that being a bit more, quote-unquote, go with the flow results in more clients signing up with me, but I'm concerned about the long-term impact to my business by following that approach. Thanks in advance for any thoughts you all might have, and thanks to Tyson and Jim for creating an environment where people like me don't feel too self-conscious to ask such things. So what do you think about that, Mr. Mutrix? So my response was this, and I'm sort of paraphrasing my response, but my response is that don't be too rigid with your protocols. I mean, your protocols are there for a reason, but as your firm grows, your protocol has to change too. And there are going to be times where you get influx of cases. For example, I'll give you an example because it happens to all of us. You get a phone call, right, and you, you do the intake on that phone call, and at least in our practice, sometimes we're able to sign them up over the phone, right? And then you take another phone call, and then another phone call, another phone call, and you get just bombarded. And in a perfect world, you would do everything by the books. You would say, okay, do the intake. It goes to the next person. This gets done, this gets done, and this gets done. But sometimes you have to sort of not be so hard on yourself and be a little flexible. Because I think, I think especially the people that listen to this podcast and the people that are in the Facebook group, they are very competitive, they're very ambitious people, and so they tend to be hard on themselves. And I know I am. I, I, if I don't follow procedures, I get, I get sort of down on myself. And, but uh, we have to remember, this is a part of the growing pains of practicing and getting bigger and, and bringing on more clients and more staff. Every once in a while, you're going to have to you know, give a little bit when it comes to your protocols and then just reassess. If, if you notice that you're not able to follow your protocols for whatever reason, you need to reassess and then figure out what you need to do to fix that. So, for example, when he's talking about, I'm assuming what he's talking about when it comes to just wanting to sign up the clients, what he's probably not doing is is probably documenting the way he wanted to, um, setting up the files the way he, he should, all that kind of stuff. That means that there is a, there is a uh, in his system, there is a breakdown, and that's in that area. For example, Jimmy, you talked about this on the podcast. You had a breakdown in your system, and it was you. You know, everyone else was getting their stuff done, and there was a bottleneck with you. And so you reassessed, and you, you remedied that problem. So that's part of it is when you start to realize that you are having to give too much in certain areas of your system, you need to fix that part of your, uh, of your system and, and address it. So it's okay to occasionally neglect it or, or, or budge a little bit, but you have to fix it at some point. I think it takes a long time to get that feel for what procedures work for you and which ones don't. And I think it's absolutely okay at the beginning to tinker with that. Now, you were much quicker to adopt systems and procedures in your practice than I was. And it really wasn't until my wife came and joined the firm and my paralegal who'd been banging her head against the wall trying to get procedures for so long had an ally who I had to listen to that we really did start putting in policies and procedures. So I probably go too far to the other extreme and I'm probably too loosey-goosey but over the course of the last year, as we've adopted more procedures, I've come to see the real value in doing things the same way every time or almost every time. So I think that it's totally okay, Joshua, to take this time at the beginning to figure out you know, what you like and what you don't like. I love that expression from Alcoholics Anonymous, take what you like and leave the rest. And that's true with people that listen to our show, people that are coming to the conference, people that you know, whenever you hear things in other markets or other practices of how people do things, I think it's great at the beginning to sort of feel that out and 
and it's okay to vary from time to time. Yeah, and Joshua, this is to you and everyone else that as you grow, if you're a solo now, you're going to grow at some point. You're going to take on staff, and there are going to be some growing pains, and you're going to learn, and you're going to learn some things work, some things don't. But I want you to always remember, my, my law partner and I always talk about this, if there's a mistake or an issue or some some breakdown in the system, it's always your fault, okay? So that's why reassessing continually and, and fixing where the issues are is a is a must-have. And John Fisher always talks about routine meetings and quarter. I, I think he talks about quarterly quarterly meetings all the time. That's what those are for. It's for fixing those issues. But it always comes down to you. So just remember that whether it comes down to hiring, firing systems, or whatever it is, just know that it is always your fault. But you you can be flexible. You don't need to be too hard on yourself. So I I think those were very very good questions though. So I, I think both of those were were spot on for every solo that has started the firm out there. Tyson, before we get to the next part of the show, I do want to make a couple of mentions. Number one, definitely people needed to be joining our Facebook group. I just looked as I was moving away from Joshua's question, and it says that we have 19 new members this week, which is pretty hard to believe. We're up to 200, 296 people in the Facebook group. It's pretty remarkable. So, And, and there's a lot of, lots of good conversations. Our friend Wayne posted a, a good uh, discussion starter about lighting for YouTube, and, and it's just a, a great place. Our buddy William Eady's always chiming in and telling us, you and I, how we're screwing things up. So it's a good place to be. That's one thing. The other thing is, I think we need to talk a little bit about the upcoming Maximum Lawyer Conference in May. Okay. Uh, and really, really, what well, I think is really cool, though, about all this is that we don't do advertising. One, we don't get paid from this, so we, we can't afford to do advertising. But what I think is cool, though, is like, this is all word of mouth. This was so awesome. Like you get people contacting us and they say, hey, I was talking to such and such. You know, I was talking to William Eady or Jim Hart or whatever it may be. And, like, it's just so cool that everyone's spreading the word. So I really – I think it's cool and I really appreciate it. I think it's awesome that people are get something from this. I think you're right. And I think, Tyson, I, I think – I know we, you and I have been bouncing back and forth whether to do advertising for the event – but I'm coming to believe that we might not have to and that Gary V is going to be proven right and that we first built the audience and that the people are going to come and register on their own. We're up to 20 registrants already. We're still almost three months out. We haven't even gotten to the early bird registry. We only have space for 110. So I think it's going to fill up quickly. And I think that the lineup we have and the price point we have is really going to make the event attractive to a lot of people. It is a killer lineup, and I, William Eady and I did a uh, Zoom meeting yesterday. He was at the office, and I was just at home. I wanted to, he wanted to show me some website stuff, and he, I'll tell you, what, his stuff alone is going to be so killer. It, I mean, they're all. I mean, we have a big guest that's going to be coming. That you have not announced yet. We haven't announced yet, but the which is often really awesome. But each one of these guests has got a is going to have an awesome tailored presentation for this conference and it is going to be so freaking awesome so the stuff that william media is going to show about your website is going to be killer and i'm really really excited about it so i i think this is going to be a phenomenal conference all right so if you guys want to register for that go to maxlawcon.maximumlawyer.com so it's m-a-x-l-a-w-c-o-n.maximumlawyer.com all right now on to the second part of the show i had lunch last week with another new member uh, someone who joined the Maximum Lawyer Facebook group in the last week. And it was really fun. I, I wish you had been there, Tyson. You would have enjoyed it. I also really wished that I had been recording it because I was giving out gold 
for 40 minutes straight. I didn't stop talking. So this guy has, I've known him for a while, but he's trying to branch out into a new practice area. And when I was talking to him, it reminded me of my favorite Maximum Lawyer podcast episode ever. That, of course, being the website roulette that we did back in the day, which we need to do again, by the way. But it really got me thinking, like, if I was going to start a whole new practice area from scratch and, and the area that he's moving into is elder law. And so I spent a lot of time talking to him about an elder lawyer that I know who an, an elder law lawyer who I know who is looking to give up her practice and was looking for someone to connect with. She asked me to take over her practice twice last year. And I was having a hard time finding her someone, so I, I put them in contact with each other. I also told him about Mitch Jackson's Legal Minds Mastermind Group and John Fisher's Mastermind Group. I specifically talked about Legal Minds and how I thought it'd be something, as he's just sort of dipping his toe into social media, that would be really good for him to look at. And then we spent some time just thinking, if I was going to start an elder law practice from scratch, what would I do and how would I market it? And so we talked about networking. He thinks he'd get a lot of clients from other lawyers. We talked about that. We talked about a website. I took a look at his website. We talked about that. So it was really exciting. So if, if you were going to stick your toe into a new practice here, if you were going to sort of try to start a new marketing message, and let's say it's elder law, what would be your mindset, Tyson, as you sort of work into that? Mindsets. I guess, does this person have a solid knowledge base of this practice area? Yeah, I think he does. He's been going to some CLEs. He's been handling cases for a while. He's done probate litigation for a while. So it's sort of, he, he has seen on the back end the mistakes that people make. And a lot of what the elder law work that he wants to be doing is sort of shielding to the extent possible people's assets from Medicare with that five-year look back that they have. And so that's sort of, you know, it's it's sort of dealing with the children of older people dealing with older people themselves, and then just sort of trying to tap into that market. So my, I guess my initial mindset is to make sure I know what the hell I'm talking about. So it sounds like he knows what the hell he's talking about. So the next thing it would be is just the, the mindset of educating potential clients. But before you get to that, it's setting up that referral partner base because he, it sounds like he is an established attorney. He's been doing this for a little bit of time. So he has plenty of contacts. I think initially I'd probably send out an initial email letting these people know what the new practice area is going to be, but also let them know that I still do the other thing because that's, that's part of the, the problem with marketing more than one practice area is that, you know, which one do you market, when, all that kind of stuff. But I, I think I would definitely send out an email letting everyone know that, that you're adding that to your practice. And then that's where it comes in. You have to start meeting with these these referral partners and letting them know that you know what you're talking about. Because I don't know about you, I'm really hesitant sometimes whenever I send a case to someone because I want to make sure that they know what they're talking about. And yeah. I don't want to send one of my clients to someone and they, they just treat them badly or they screw up their case because that makes me look terrible. So you have to make sure that these referral partners, especially attorneys, are comfortable with you taking on these cases and then get out there and I would shoot a ton of video and educate potential clients. You know me, I'm like you, we shoot all these videos, we put them on social media, we put them on YouTube and it makes a gigantic difference. And so that, that'd be kind of my initial steps once I started to expand into it. What about you? One of the cool things that I was thinking about, especially our friend Bernard Nomberg down in Alabama has been doing a lot of, you know, he has his Facebook live show where he interviews people down in Alabama who are sort of social media leaders and people that have big followings. And one of the things I asked Tim, that's the attorney's name, I said, Tim, besides lawyers, who else 
what are some other people that would come into contact with the kind of people that might be referred to you? And he said, financial planners. And I said, hmm, I think what I would do is I would start a podcast about, you know, financial planning and avoiding that five-year look back and sort of educating people. And not that that many people are going to listen to a podcast about Medicare deductions and Medicare, you know, trying to protect your assets. But in the overall theme of thing of estate planning, if he went around and interviewed all the major financial planners and said, I want to have you on my show to talk about why it's so important. I think that that email, you know, John Jant says that the best introduction to someone is an interview request. If he was sending interview requests, he would really start to build a network that way and be able to, you know, demonstrate what he knows. And, you know, invariably the guests on the show would thank him and tell him how great he is. And, you know, sort of like we do with our guests, I think that there's this sort of mutual love fest that happens and it's just all good vibes and it's positive and you're helping people, you're educating people. And I think, I think it'd be a real opportunity for him to do it. And it wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't be spending a ton of time out networking. So I think this would be a much faster and more efficient way of, of building his brand. You're so right. You know, we sent out, think about the emails that we sent out asking people to come on our show. I mean, they, no one ever turns us down. I mean, it's just one of those things like, of course, people want to be interviewed. I mean, that's a big part of it is they just, they love people love whenever you're asking about the things that they do. People like to talk about that kind of stuff. So I, I absolutely agree with you. So there are platforms like podcasting, videos, and all that kind of stuff that I think would be great, especially with social media these days. You can do the through Blue Jeans, like a Facebook Live thing that is great. We, we did that uh, one a few weeks ago about the sort of the call a lawyer version of, of for social media that w- had a great I mean, well, we have like 1,800 people that watch that. It was incredible. I mean, it was a really incredible. See, there's plenty of things like that. Platforms like, like social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that. They're a fantastic medium to get your message out there. And it costs you literally nothing. Your, your time, I guess. So not literally nothing. Literally zero money is what it costs you. So it's just a little bit of elbow grease. And I, I guess another thing, mindset is just, you know, work hard. I mean, like you can't just you know, put a shingle out these days like they used to. And I guess in some small towns, I hear you you can do that. I'm not sure I believe that. But in, especially in places like St. Louis, you can't just put a shingle out and expect your, that you're going to have people calling you every day. You've got to put in some legwork. I mean, it, it is work. This is one of the hardest things you'll ever do uh, running a firm. So I'm um, just getting that mindset right that you're going to have to work for it. There, There is no, you know, sitting in your office waiting for the phone ring. That's just not how it works. So you got to have that mindset from the beginning. All right. Well, I think we better wrap this episode up. I think it was a great one. I think so. I, I, I always like talking to you, and I always, that's how this started. We always like talking to each other. So you canceled lunch on me earlier, but that's fine. So we'll uh, we'll grab lunch later on, later on this week. You know what? Before we get to your hack of the week, I do want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group, check out the information on the conference, also, if you like this podcast, give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Jimmy, what is your hack of the week? Hack of the week is for the last 12 or 14 days, I've been making sure I walk 10,000 steps every day. I was reading an article about how it's important to not just have a lot of exercise, but also to be moving throughout the day. That being sedentary is really just as bad as not even getting any exercise at all. I've got a standing desk. I've been walking 10,000 steps a day. I feel a lot better. My legs are a little sore. But I've been making sure to move each day. I was down at the airport in, uh, where was I, in Dallas, and I had a flight delay, and I wanted to get my steps, and I didn't want to have to hit the treadmill when I got home. So I basically put on my backpack, and I walked all around the airport about five times. And it's it's been good. 
I like it. Jimmy, you, you held it. I remember the first one met you. You were not in as good a condition as you are in, uh, you're in now. So I'm proud of the progress you've got. It's really awesome. My tip of the week actually comes from the book Elon Musk, which you recommended. It's a good book. It's a really great book. I, I really do like it. I'm actually listening to it. I'm not reading it. But either you or John Fisher both recommended it. And it was funny. And that's what that's what kind of sucks about iTunes and, and Facebook and everything being immediately accessible because I saw whoever recommended it. You were both on the post. And I bought it within like a minute from seeing uh-huh. it. And then I started. So it's just like it's, it's just like this. It's like being in an, uh, a checkout aisle and like the candy's right there and be able to just get it whenever you want. So it, uh, it kind of sucks. But anyway, the tip, though, actually, he ta- uh, in the book, the author talks about Elon Musk when he when he came to the United States, how where they started to really network is they, they had a list of all these people that were very, very influential. And I'm not talking like, you know, someone that's like an attorney in town and you just want to meet. I'm talking like big-time people, like big-time reporters, big-time big businessmen and women in New York that they wanted to meet. And so they made a list and just started making phone calls. <laughs> so that's, that's what they started doing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a list, and my tip of the week is for everyone to create a list of the people that you want to associate with that are big-time people. You know, think big, big as you as you can realistically think, and, and start contacting them. Have lunch with them. Have coffee with them and see how it goes and see if things change for you, see if you start building some some bigger connections. So I thought it was a very interesting part of that book. And so uh, that's the tip of the week. Reach out to the big-time people that you want to associate with and see what happens. Jimmy, got anything else? That's it, brother. All right, man. Talk to you next week. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your host and to access more content, more content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. Maximum Have a great week and catch you next time.